Welcome to CLCC Online. We pray that this message draws you towards Jesus and strengthens your walk with him. We believe that we were meant to do life in community. If you live in the Fraser Valley area, we would love to get you connected into the family. Find everything you need at clcc.ca. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. I'm so glad to be here with you today. My name is Len. Uh, I'm actually the Chief Operating Officer for Focus on the Family Canada, where we've been serving families and parents and children uh, for the last 40 years across Canada. Uh, before that, I pastored for 25 years all over uh, BC. And uh, just before going to Focus on the Family, I served at our district office for five years. Uh, but my real claim to fame is that uh, Pastor Brianna is uh, my daughter. And so I'm just, again, so pleased uh, to be able to uh, serve you today uh, as somebody who regularly attends this church and, uh, and just, uh, again, happy to be here. Uh, we're starting a series today called The Coming Promise. And even the, the title evokes thoughts of waiting, expectation, uh, hope, uh, really this idea of looking forward to a preferred future. And one of the big ideas behind this series is that the story of Jesus doesn't start in the New Testament uh, with the records of his birth. But in fact, the story starts in the Old Testament. Throughout the Old Testament, it really points to Jesus coming. And so part of what we want to do in this series is connect the dots for you between the old and the new. And to do that, this week, I'm going to tell two parallel uh, but contrasting stories, uh, two stories with very, very different outcomes. And so I really want to start with the well-known Christmas story of Ahaz. Now, if you've never heard of Ahaz, let me give you a little bit of background. <coughs> um, we actually find Ahaz in Isaiah chapter 7, and this is about 733 BC, so 700 years before Jesus is on the scene. And here's what's happening in uh, that region at the time, is uh, Israel is split into two kingdoms, one called Israel to the north, and then Judah to the south. Uh, king Pekah, or Pekah, I'm not sure how to say it, reigns over Israel, uh, while King Ahaz reigns over Judah. Now what happens is Pekah allies, him, allies himself with Aram, which is northeast of Israel, uh, to invade Judah to the south. So basically these two powers come from the north uh, to, uh, to invade Judah to the south. Meanwhile, uh, on the international scene, Assyria, Assyria is also gaining power in the south. And so we really have this picture of Judah uh, being in the middle of two powers that are really attempting to take over uh, the nation. And so this is what we read and pick up in Isaiah chapter 7 verses 1 to 2. It says, this took place during the reign of Ahaz. Aram's king Rezin and Israel's king Pekah went to fight against Jerusalem, but they were not able to conquer it. When it became known to the house of David, that is Judah, that Aram had occupied Ephraim, which was just inside Judah's northern border, the heart of Ahaz and the hearts of his people trembled like trees of a forest shaking in the wind. And so the Lord sends Isaiah, and this is what Isaiah says to Ahaz. He says, calm down, be quiet. Don't be afraid or cowardly because of these two smoldering sticks 
The NIV says these two smoldering stubs of firewood. If you're ever looking for a great insult, that might be one that you want to pull out. At any rate, it goes on in verse 5. For Aram, along with Ephraim and the son of Ramallah, has plotted harm against you. They say, let's go up against Judah. Let's terrorize it and conquer it for ourselves. Then we can install Tabil's son as king in it. But this is what the Lord says. It will not happen. It will not occur. This is a great reminder to all of us that when faced with an impossible situation, when our backs are against the wall, when the odds are stacked against us, God has our back. That was certainly the truth for Ahaz, is that God essentially came to him and said, listen, it's not going to happen. It's not going to occur. They're not going to take you over if you follow me. Because there's a warning, there's a, there's a caveat that's added to all this in verse 9. It says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, then you will not stand at all. And so Ahaz has this great challenge before him. Not just the challenge of the nations around him wanting to invade uh, the little territory of Judah, but he also has the challenge before him to decide whether or not he's going to stand firm in his faith. That he's going to stand firm with God and not... Uh, you know, the, the nations around him. We pick up the story in verse 10. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, ask for a sign from the Lord your God. It can be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. So again, just for those of you who don't know, Sheol is the Old Testament word for hell. So basically he's saying it can be as deep as hell, it can be as deep as it can go, or it can be high as heaven. Ask whatever you want. You know, Sometimes when God asks us to do something that requires more faith than we possess, he is willing to give us a sign. He's willing to assure us that he can do the impossible, that he can do more than we can ever ask or think, that he can ex exceed our expectations and keep us safe within his care. But Ahaz replied, for verse 12, I will not ask, I will not test the Lord. Now, if you know something about Ahaz, this is false righteousness. It sounds very good, but in fact, this is hypocrisy. This is Ahaz trying to find a way out because he actually doesn't want to go the Lord's way. Um, and so he says, I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to test the Lord. It's sort of this self-righteous thing that he does. And in verse 13, Isaiah says, listen, house of David, it's, is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of my God? You can hear the exasperation in Isaiah's voice. And so then we get to the key verse, verse 14. Again, Isaiah is speaking on behalf of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Now, a bit of a spoiler alert on Ahaz's story. In the end, Ahaz chose to ally with Assyria to the, to the south. And he did that instead of trusting God. He fought, thought that's where his strength was going to come from. And in fact, if you read in uh, Kings, you discover that Ahaz was one of Judah's worst kings. Uh, he sent the silver and gold from the temple to pay off the king of Assyria. In fact, he desecrated the temple in various ways. And he did other evil and despicable things that I don't even want to describe uh, here today. 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 2 sums it up this way. Ahaz did not do what was right 
in the sight of the Lord. And even though Ahaz allied himself with Assyria, eventually Assyria came and didn't help him, but actually conquered Judah in the end. So you may be sitting there thinking to yourself, okay, what is this Old Testament story about nations that really don't even exist anymore have to do with the story of Christmas? That's a great question. Well, as we'll see in a moment, Isaiah 7:14 is a very famous verse in the Christmas narrative. And again, that Christmas narrative happens 700 years after what I've just described to you. And so again, you may be wondering, well, how did an obscure prophecy in Isaiah become the central theme of the Christmas story? Well, you see, Isaiah's prophecy became a powerful symbol of deliverance and salvation uh, that the people understood would be fulfilled by the Messiah. And so over the course of this 700 years, they came to understand that this prophecy, this word from Isaiah, uh, held some significance, great significance in terms of their ultimate salvation, in terms of the coming Messiah, and that he would not simply save them from their political foes, but ultimately the Messiah, one would come to save them from their sin. And he wouldn't just be God saving them from their sin, but he would be Emmanuel. He would be God with us. And you see, this was the coming promise. This was the long-awaited hope that God, in fact, would be with them, that he would be with them in their need, that he would no longer be a distant God somewhere out there set apart you know, far away, but in fact, he would be present. He would be near. He would be a God who is close and who is accessible to anybody who wants to reach out. And of course, you know where this is going. This promise was fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. Now, what I realized in my study this week was that Matthew, in fact, writes the story of Jesus' birth to mimic the story of Ahaz in Isaiah 7. If you compare Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1, and Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, what you discover uh, is uh, an interesting parallel. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1 says this, This took place in the reign of Ahaz. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 says this, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. Do you see the parallels there? Do you see what's happening? And not only that, as, as you probably already know, and as we'll discover, Matthew quotes Isaiah 7.14 in his Christmas narrative. But the interesting thing about this is Matthew's story has a completely different outcome from that of Ahaz. And so let's look at, at Matthew's story in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 goes like this, should be familiar to many of you. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Now, I just have to conjecture for a minute. I can't imagine how that conversation went. Anyways, verse 19. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, uh, did not want to disgrace her publicly and decided to divorce her secretly. So of course, Joseph was not like a king like Ahaz. He was a common person, a common person, you know, like you and like me. But like Ahaz, he was faced with a situation that tested his faith. You see, he had the law on one side, where in that day, engagement really held the same commitment 
and responsibilities as marriage. And so he has the law on one side saying you're effectively married to this young woman, even though you know the, the ceremony hasn't been completed yet. Scriptures tell us that he, he had a desire to do what was right, or some versions say just. And so he's, he's wanting to end the union because he believes that's the righteous, the, the just thing to do. But he also had a clear concern for Mary. It's clear in the narrative that he loves her, that he's concerned for her. And he doesn't want to subject her to further ridicule that as she becomes, you know, more and more pregnant, as it were, that uh, everybody would know, you know, what had happened. So he doesn't want to, ju- to subject her to greater ridic- ridicule. But here's what happens. Verse 20. But after he had considered these things, after he thought about this nearly impossible situation he was in, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, this wasn't a prophet like Isaiah who came, but it was an angel, one who was speaking very clearly on behalf of God. And like Ahaz, he said to Joseph, Joseph, don't be afraid. And like uh, Isaiah said to Ahaz, uh, he asked Joseph to believe something that seemed absolutely impossible. Now, did Joseph connect the angel's explanation with the symbol from Isaiah, this, this idea that had been an uh, integral part you know, of, of uh, the Hebrew person, of, of, of following God, of following Yahweh, that, that in fact you know, this virgin would come? Well, we have no idea. But if he didn't make that connection, Matthew connects it for us by quoting from Isaiah 7. And again, just to read from the record in Matthew, verse 22. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And Matthew lays it out for us. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. And so when Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord, the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, meaning Mary, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. And so we see here in this parallel story that Joseph responds the way that Ahaz did not. You see, Ahaz responded with fear. He saw the circumstances around him. Uh, he, He felt like he was in an impossible situation, and he reacted to those circumstances. Joseph, on the other hand, believed the word of the Lord and chose to stand firm in his faith. He also reacted, but he reacted instead of with fear, he reacted with faith, believing that God was with him. Ahaz chose to separate himself from God. He chose to turn his back on God. He chose not to listen to the word of the Lord. And Joseph, on the other hand, chooses to lean into God, trusting the word of the angel, even though I'm sure he just really could not understand all of the circumstances. He chose to trust. And so when we compare these two biblical accounts that are separated by 700 years but connected by this great prophecy, we're faced with an obvious question. When presented with a situation that challenges our faith, how will we respond? 
Will we be like Ahaz? Will we fear the smoldering stubs of firewood around us? Will we trust in our own ability to manage uh, the situation and ally ourselves with the obvious powers that be? Will we kind of go that natural route and decide this is what we're going to do? Or will we be like Joseph? Will we choose to stand firm in our faith? Will we trust in the word of the Lord, believing the coming promise, no matter how unlikely it appears to be? You see, just as he did with Joseph's story, God wants to rewrite your story. God wants to come alongside you and he wants to show you that there's a different way that you can take. That even though your natural response and my natural response might be fear, might be to ally ourselves with that which we've always known, there's a different story that can be written here. And that story can say, no, I choose to ally myself with God. And I choose to ally myself with the truth of his word and choose to embrace the coming promise. Now, one thing that's so clear with this is that the central part of the story is this idea of Emmanuel, God with us. And we need Emmanuel when faced with impossible situations. We need God with us in our darkest days and in our hardest times. We need God with us even when we respond in faith. And so today, as I bring a close to this message, I want to invite you to think about whether or not God is with you. Is God with you in the middle of your challenge and your difficulty? Is God with you as you maybe face a Christmas that is not ideal? You know, one of the things that we know about Christmas is that oftentimes it, it uh, sort of acts as a magnifying glass on our challenges and on our difficulties. And they feel, things feel harder and they feel more, more severe over the course of the Christmas season. Is God with you in the midst of all of that? For those of you who are anticipating a wonderful and blessed Christmas uh, season and just joyful time with family and friends and all the celebration that goes with it, let me ask you this. Is God with you in the middle of that? You see, that's the whole point of this, is that God would no longer be distant in our pain and in our pleasures, that he would no longer be distant, distant in our trials and our successes. But in fact, we have a God who's with us, who walks with us, who comes alongside us in every circumstance, in every situation. You know, the other important part of this story is that we're told that God came with us, that Emmanuel came in part to save his people, not in part, that Emmanuel came primarily to save his people from their sins. And, and I think the story leads us into this place as well, and that is, Maybe you're sitting there and you are recognizing today that there are sins in your life that are keeping you from fully experiencing God with you. That they've created this distance, this barrier, this you know, issue that's got to be overcome. But we know from Scripture, we know because of what Jesus said and the way he lived, that he wants to be with you. He wants that closeness. 
And it simply requires a willingness on your part to confess those things to him and accept his forgiveness and his salvation. There could be no greater gift this Christmas season than for you to receive the gift of salvation that Jesus offers. And so let me end by asking you this question. Is God with you? Is God with you in every circumstance, in every situation? He can be. He wants to be. And that's the point of this whole story. Let's close in the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person who is watching and listening to this. I thank you that you can be with them and they simply need to open their arms, they need to open their hearts and receive you, that you might be Emmanuel, that you might be the God who walks with us through every challenge, every difficulty, every joy, and every celebration. I pray that we would not be like Ahaz and look around the circumstances and respond with fear and try to ally ourselves with all the things that we you know, know but might not necessarily serve us. May we be like Joseph, who trusts in your word, who is willing to embrace the promise, even though he may not fully understand it, and who lives in a way that, uh, that invites you very much into his life. So, Lord, over this Christmas season, may we just be so aware of this. May we be so aware of your presence with us. And thank you for this gift. And I pray this name all in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for being with us today and thank you for letting me share with you. Thanks for joining us. If you're looking to get connected, we are one church in multiple locations. Our Alder Grove Krampus meets at Parkside Elementary School Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Our Abbotsford campus has two services each Sunday, 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. We would love to see you at one of our in-person gatherings. If you would like to financially support us, you can always give at clcc.ca give. See you next time.